You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Thompson, and you're listening to Arn right here on Westwood One this Tuesday and every Tuesday at 6 a.m. And of course, the man with the voice you're about to hear is the founder of the Four Horsemen, the Hall of Famer, the Enforcer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? I'm excited. You know what week it is, don't you? It's Starcast Four in Baltimore, baby. You better believe it. I am thrilled. Cannot wait. We are looking forward to it. If you haven't already, make plans to join us. If you can't get to Baltimore, no problem. We got you covered. Pre-order StarCast 4 in Baltimore at StarCastOnFight.com. And when you pre-order, you'll get one, two, and three included. So it's something crazy, like 100 hours worth of content. Go check it out right now, StarCastOnFight.com. But if you're there in Baltimore, why don't you save yourself a little cash? You can get a great discount on your meet and greets using the promo code ARN. Just for listening to this show, it's a who's who. If you're a fan of the old school, we've got Sting in the red, white, and blue. We've got the great Muda. We've got all kinds of Hall of Famers like Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Ronnie Garvin, Magnum TA. Of course, Arn's going to be there. Eric Bischoff will be there. But maybe the biggest get of all, Jim Crockett. Can you believe I landed Jim Crockett? He's never done anything like this. Well, and David too, isn't it? Yeah, David Crockett will be there. He's He was with us actually in Vegas, but... I don't think since 1988, Jim Crockett has made a public appearance like this. Well, you know, I full well expect Jackie Crockett to come in the back door with a fifth hole crow or something and join the festivities myself. <laughs> come join us this weekend. <laughs> We're looking forward to it. Arn's going to be on stage telling old stories. It's a part of a panel. We're calling the great American Baltimore. There's so many great, great American bash stories and just such a rich wrestling history town right there in Baltimore. We're going to live it up and we hope you join us. And we're glad you joined us today for a little ask Arn anything. And, uh, last week we had something totally different. We went back and revisited the longstanding feud with Rick Flair and Eric Bischoff, how it all came to a head that night in South Carolina. What a tremendous promo you delivered. And then of course the great interaction with, uh, Rick and Eric, lots of goosebump listens last week. I got great feedback. What were you hearing this week? Yeah, you know, me as well. Uh, everywhere I go, people are starting to say, hey, I'm, you know, they'll just come up and people that hadn't spoke to me before and go really enjoying the podcast. It was not what I expected. Really getting some some inside dirt, some inside skippy and hearing some stories that they wouldn't normally get to hear. So everybody seems to be enjoying it. I certainly hope they are. I know I am. Well, we're looking forward to uh, the questions that we got from you guys. We're going to ask them to Arn. Tons of responses. I'm, I'm really overwhelmed. You know, I do these sort of 
Q and a style episodes with all of my co-hosts, but we get more questions for you than anyone. It's not even close. So moving forward, boys and girls, I'm proud to tell you that every other week or nearly every other week, it's going to be a Q and a style episode, uh, because you guys are just digging it. So doggone much. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Arn, are you ready? Absolutely. Michael Eldridge wants to know, is there anyone that you wish you could have wrestled that you didn't get the chance to? God, there's a lot of guys I wish I would got to wrestle. Um, AJ Styles would be one. Roman Reigns would be another. Um, Braun Strowman, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be able to live through the evening. That guy is just a monster. Uh, there's so many talented guys. You know, a lot of guys are I'm getting familiar with AEW. You know that that are on the way up. That Hangman, you know, has got something. Hangman Page has got something. For my style of wrestling, you know, I, I think I could have had a good match with him. You know, Chris Jericho is a guy that I think I only wrestled one time, but Chris has really developed himself as and his character and really made himself very unlikable. You know, I would have enjoyed working with him with all the personality that he's bringing. Cody has leaps and bounds. You know, he, it, each and every week he's becoming a more likable uh, commodity and uh, personality within their company. There's just there's a lot of talented guys out there. Um, gosh, that, the that's just day. a name of you, you know. Meltzer said the other day that he thinks Cody is the most over babyface in wrestling. What do you think about that? At this point in time, right now, I, I wouldn't argue that. And the thing that he did with Shimani. Uh, on that limo ride yeah, is the most believable, credible, honest, made you feel good about the two guys that you were listening to thing I've seen in a long time. And I mean that it was, it was real life and it felt real and it, it was real. It feels like a, uh, a nod to flair when mean gene and flair rode in the limo to uh, Starcade 93. Is that the way? You remember it? Is that what you were thinking of when you saw it back? You know what? I never thought of it that way because that would have been just an overwhelming personality and a very lovable character like Gene Oakland. Tony and, and Cody felt like two friends. Right. That that truly were two friends on the way to something important. And uh, what would one friend say to the other? Uh, and under legitimate circumstances, and if you're a fly on the wall – and you're just getting to be privy to this conversation. That's why I felt about it. I do want to ask, you know, when we're thinking about guys that you might want to wrestle, I think a lot of people, if you had to sort of fantasy book it, would think that you and Tully against the revival would have been one hell of a match. Well, for those of you that are being kind enough to feel that way, I appreciate the consideration, but I got a feeling Tully and I might've got our ass kicked. I don't know. <laughs> You know, those kids, those kids are good, Conrad. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, some of the absolute best, uh, hashtag top guys. Hey, so let me ask, you've told me, uh, in private before, I don't think I'm betraying any confidences that you're real high on Luke Harper too. Uh, explain to everybody why you think Luke has, has got the goods. I have watched Luke since the very beginning times in WWE and I saw him from a performer standpoint go from 
a monster with the Wyatts that no one could get off of his feet, no matter what you did. And he made matches exciting, not getting bounced around to the smaller of the Wyatt group between him and Rowan and being the guy that did get his ass kicked it a little bit because you got to have guys creating excitement bell to bell. In the range of his uh, ability to make all those things happen, you know, and he lost some weight and he leaned up and the guy moves like a cat out there and his thought process is thinking for the other three guys that are in the tag match, which is what a pro does and a top heel does and a top heel team, even more importantly, all have a, a spot to fill in a tag match. And if all four guys are thinking in terms of where everybody else is at, and you have that one leader step up, control the flow, man, you got something special. And I doubt very seriously if anybody could show me a match that Luke Harper was in that they say, oh, that wasn't very good. He's just that good, and he's just that valuable. And the guy's intelligent, and the guy could talk. And to be honest with you, if I had my options of where to put that guy right now, and what his character would be, Luke Harper would become the Unabomber. And I say that in a fictitious sense, but I could certainly see that guy sitting in the third floor of an old house with just a single light bulb hanging above his head. <clears throat> As the camera zooms in, you see he's on computer. And at those humble settings that you thought you were going to see and some guy in there scanning cattle or something with his teeth, it's not what you see. It's the real Luke Harper, the genius that goes behind the look, which is even more scarier. There's a character just sitting there waiting for somebody to groom and manufacture and turn into a prize and a very valuable piece of a company. Just hope somebody sees it, spots it, recognizes it, and makes it happen because the guy's got the goods. Yeah. And I know you felt that way for a long time. You told me, you know, that he was one of your favorites for a while. And, uh, if you've been keeping up with his story, I think, uh, sooner rather than later, we'll, we'll start to see something a little different. Uh, let's talk about, uh, an interesting question that has been heavily debated the last few weeks. It's about Tessa Blanchard. Joshua weekly writes in and says, what's your take on Tessa Blanchard possibly challenging for the heavyweight championship. She's one of the main reasons I watch impact. If you're not totally familiar on the, the gist is it looks like she's headed for a title shot. And a lot of people believe she's going to win the big belt, the actual main event world title, not the women's belt, but the men's belt. And I guess you wouldn't be able to call it that anymore because Tessa would have it. What do you think about one of the ladies winning the big belt? Well, I'm a huge fan of women and what they've achieved in wrestling today. Um, I have a running joke with my wife. You know, if you'd have told me 20 years ago that a woman was going to be a better worker than I was, I'd laughed in your face. Now they're all better than I was. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the first to admit it. I do have, not, I'm not going to say problem or issue or I'm just a little bit suspect on my, what my feelings are about 
women fighting men on a level that's equal, uh, level ground, equal footing. I just don't think that it's probably credible, believable, or do I want to see a guy clotheslining a woman's head off or punching her in the mouth? You can get away, and you've always been able to get away with women being involved in matches. And as long as it stays something cute and something that I'm going to buy, let me just ask who their champion is right now that Tessa would be challenging. Sammy Callahan, and they actually main evented a pay-per-view a couple of months ago. It was a very good match, but I could see how if you were a traditionalist, it may have been a little challenging to watch. You know, a man wrestle a woman, but... I thought they told a great story. Ultimately, she did not get her hand raised. Sammy won that match, but it was much more competitive than maybe you would have imagined a generation ago. I would have to see it and break it down in my head. And as a human being first, see if I'm going to buy any of that, because it's hard to become a wrestling fan unless you have a working knowledge of what you're looking at, at, you know, as that fan who who goes, well, okay, I'll buy that. She outmaneuvered him a little bit. But when it gets to the point of where a woman is just steamrolling a man and you know she's not as strong, you know she's not as fast, you know she's not as tough, and you're trying to push that envelope a little further than it should be pushed to where it's not, She's outmaneuvering him, and she slapped him in the face, which caused him to chase her. And as she rolls back in the ring and he rolls in behind her, she takes advantage of a situation. All plausible things that could happen. But like I said, I would have to see the match and just see, is she just mowing this guy down? Because I've heard, you know, I don't know Sammy personally, but I've heard he's a pretty tough kid. I've seen him wrestle a few times on TV, and he beats his own body up pretty good. So I imagine he is a tough kid. I, I'm, I'm not sold on that being a 50-50 situation where all things are equal. Tessa beats Sammy Callahan straight up. I don't know, but certainly uh, women have evolved and, and made themselves a huge, huge, huge commodity in this industry. You know, you look at Becky and Sasha and Charlotte Flair and Nia Jax and, you know, Natty. And I'm a huge Beth Phoenix fan from back in the day. Beth was a badass before badasses were popular, you know. Um, Beth was the original badass. I go all the way back to Jackie. And, you know, there's been a lot of tough ladies come along who paved the way, you know, China for the girls who have taken the slack, picked it up. And, and put them at a new level performance-wise. And uh, on any given night, any of those combination of ladies can steal the show. And uh, I'm very proud of all of them. Here's a great question from Jay Stovall. He says, what was Arn's take on C.W. Anderson, who competed in ECW? Mm-hmm. Was he ever made officially part of the Anderson family? Not really. Um, I had heard about C.W. before I ever met him. And... Uh, I noticed that his style was very similar to mine, more so than to any of the other Andersons, I think, that came before him. I think he patterned himself. I think he's left-handed uh, a lot more, you know, along my style. And I know that I did meet him one night, and he did pull me aside and said, I hope it's okay that I'm, you know, using the gimmick and all that. And I said, C.W., look at, <laughs> if you look at my driver's license, it says Lundy. 
You look at Oles, it says Rogowski. You know, Gene was the only real Anderson, and all of us, every one of us that came after him, pretty much piggybacked off of Gene's name. So if he allowed all of us to make a living, who am I to say you shouldn't do the same? So if you can make some living, you know, make some money with that uh, gimmick, man, go for it, because your work certainly speaks for itself, and I'd be proud that you are an Anderson. That's great, man. Did you know that 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut or that supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight environmental allergies. Solid gold is passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of pets. Solid gold was the first holistic pet food company in America started all the way back in 1974 by Sissy McGill. Now, Sissy was a trailblazer and a pioneer who disrupted a very much male dominated industry and created a natural pet food, quote unquote, before it was cool. You see, Sissy was inspired by European pet food and the fact that European Great Danes lived longer than their American counterparts. And her first recipe, Hund and Flocken, has now provided high quality nutrition and digestive health for more than 20 generations of dogs. Solid Gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high-quality food is the best way to impact our pet's mind, spirit, and body. For over 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized the holistic pet food category, and they have a recipe for any dog or cat's dietary needs, including whole grain and grain-free options, wet food, supplements like sea meal, and 100% human-grade bone broth for dogs. Solid Gold foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods balanced with living probiotics and fuel with omega three and six fatty acids, all the while supporting gut health and nourishing your pet, both inside and out. Now, right now, solid gold is offering our listeners 30% off their first order by visiting solidgoldpet.com forward slash wrestle. That's solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle for 30% off your first order. Remember 30% off your first order. When you go to solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle, that's solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. Uh, Andy Watson has a question that has gotten some people stirred up some old school traditionalists. What's Arn's view on tag teams tab tagging in by slapping their partner on the back. Isn't that against the rules? The gist is. There's been some folks who have been critical of the AEW more mm. modern style of tag wrestling. It almost feels a little bit more like a scramble, a little bit more Lucha Libre rules. It's not the traditional tag rope in the corner and your hands have got to touch guys are a little more free flowing back and forth as an old school guy yourself. What's your take on that? Well, I can tell you this, if Tully would have slapped me on the back hard, I'd have probably punched him in the mouth instead of tagging in, <laughs> but that's just me. Um, the business is evolving. If you put too much emphasis on hanging onto that tag rope, I think there's certain situations to where you may miss a spot or cause a spot to go flat. Uh, I do think you have to be conscientious about the fact of tags and, and who is legal. Otherwise, if too much of that goes on, why not just turn it into a Texas turn, you know, turmoil match where it's all four guys in the ring? Because basically that's what you have. If you don't have that stipulation, if you got a tag in or out, 
from somewhere pretty close to your corner, you lose a lot of strategy because the rules go away. And you ha- I believe you have to have rules to be able to get heat, to be able to actually convincingly cut a guy off, cut the ring off on the guy and keep him on your side of the ring and be able to dominate, wear a guy down, and eventually beat him, which I thought was the concept of a tag match. But if you can just join the action without a tag or not even be close to being in your corner when you get tagged or being on the floor and getting tagged, I think you lose the few rules that you have that help govern the ability of a team to operate like a team. And that once you get one guy cut down and get him hurt, the theory has always been, and the best teams can still make that work, put him in danger of tagging. If he can't tag, eventually he's going to get worn down and get beat. And that's the concept in a whole, in a nutshell of a tag match. Jason Hope wants to know a few <clears throat> weeks after the NWO parody of the my spot promo, Arn did a run in on nitro and hit Nash in the back with what looked like a stiff shot from a lead pipe. Kevin Nash has said it was his receipt. Did Arn do this intentionally or was Nash just embellishing? Well, I could tell you point blank. Now, Kevin may have thought that it might have been a potato. Yes, that's possible. But that would have been accidental. Certainly, any problems that Kevin and I had or any indiscretions or anything we had to talk about after the parody we resolved that night, which has already been discussed, I'm certainly not such a weasel that I would wait till Kevin had his back turned and hit him in the back with a steel pipe. I don't need to do that. Um, Anything man-to-man that has ever came up in this industry in the past with me, win, lose, or draw, and God knows I've been half-killed on more than one occasion and been in some pretty good fights with guys in other situations. I don't have to address something from behind with a lead pipe. It's not the way I operate. So if, if he got potatoed, it was purely accidental, which I apologized to him that night. And also told him, I hope you I hope you don't think that's the kind of guy I am because I'm not a cheap shot artist when it comes to backstage stuff. That's for damn sure. Another great question here. This one comes to us from great friend of the show, Bad Money Slim. And he wants to know if you have a funny Tony Schiavone story that you can share with us. Of course. This is a, a great time to tell that story because this Thursday, believe it or not, just two days from now, it's Tony's birthday. You got anything we can embarrass him with, Arn? Well, I guess the the, the most it's it's probably not gonna make him look bad, but it's gonna make me look bad. So should I volunteer this? Let's do it. Yeah, why why not? You wanna do it? Let's do it. Okay. Uh Everybody's heard the stories about Chicago. Uh, We did do some drinking in Chicago because the owner of the United Center's family, which would be the general, we called him, Bruce MacArthur, very, very well-placed in the city of Chicago. His family been in the political scene for a long, long time. They own the sports teams. They own the Chicago Blackhawks. Let's just say we would get Drunk ass stupid sometimes in Chicago. Well, Tony Schiavone had the bright idea, and I still hold him responsible for this, for having me taken to a hotel 
but not particularly the hotel where everybody else was staying, apparently, because when I woke up the next morning, completely disheveled, and started calling around trying to find some of my compadres and figure out how we were going to get to the arena and when we are going to the arena, nobody was checked in there. Nobody could tell me a thing. So I'm still, to this day, feel like Tony Giovanni might have taken me not to where everyone else was staying, but taken me to another hotel on a rib. He won't admit it. But that turned pretty, pretty nasty when I couldn't find anybody that I was thought was still on this earth. None of the Crockett's, no Rick, none of the horsemen were around, couldn't find anybody. So I ended up calling and interrupting a board meeting of the Works Corporation, to which Bruce was in, and uh, had him come to the phone, leave his meeting, and sort out where I was, where everyone else was, and what the deal was. Still blame Tony for that. Don't know if he'll admit it or not. Well, I think you should blame him. We're going to give him some shit this Thursday. If you haven't already... Uh, you should come hang out with us. Uh, make plans to hang out with us. We're doing a little birthday party for him Thursday night. It's at Jimmy's famous seafood in Baltimore. There's going to be a low key roast hosted by comedian Dan St. Germain. Of course, a lot of, uh, wrestling luminaries will be in attendance, a phenomenal spread there at Jimmy's. And then, uh, once we get done busting Tony's balls, do a little karaoke with Tony and a live band. It's a good time. Starcast.com is where you can pick up your tickets. Uh, fun question here about mongo from jason scott he says does arn know about mongo putting women on scholarships how wild was it traveling with mongo well i never did travel with mongo to be honest with you mongo was his own cat he did his own thing and um Man, I just I just loved mongo he looked at me and he said arn i just got divorced I had ten million left over from my football days. I gave her five. I've got five. When I quit having fun doing the wrestling thing, or the five million runs out first, I'm out of here. And that's just the way he was. Um, he did his own late night partying. Mongo didn't have any any office meetings he had to attend or anything else. Mongo just kind of did his own thing and. Uh, Man, he's about as wild as it comes. Matter of fact, uh, one of the last times we saw Mongo, we were working Philadelphia. He ended up going to a strip joint there, and we didn't see him for two weeks. So <laughs> that's the God's truth. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Brian Morse wants to know, Arn, your time in WWE as an agent is legendary. You worked with so many great stars like John Cena. Uh, all of that had to be hard work, long hours on the road, putting together all the matches, attending all the meetings, an endless grind. So I'm curious after all that, what everyone wants to know most of all is how big's Batista's dick. Oh, I'm, that's about the third or fourth time I've been asked that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let, let me clear something up for everybody out there listening and pass the word. I, I was in, I was in charge of a lot of stuff. Pecker checking wasn't one of them. Yeah. You know, the fact that I happened up on Beak's baby's arm with the big red apple on the end of it was by chance. It wasn't by design. I didn't go in the talent locker room my entire stint 
with WWE other than just to go locate somebody, get them to the ring. Let's take care of our business. I didn't meander around in there, uh, checking anybody's junk out. So I really, I hate to let you down, but I couldn't tell you, but I will put it to you this way. He's a superhero, right? Yeah. That should tell you all you need to know. Okay, Aaron, we need to take a time out right now to tell everybody about manscaped.com and support for Arn comes directly from manscaped.com. So if you like our podcast, man, support manscaped.com. And by the way, they're the best in men's below the belt grooming. You see, manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And really they've changed the game with the brand new lawnmower 2.0. It comes with proprietary skin safe technology. So this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. They've totally redesigned the electric trimmer. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And let's just be frank here. You shouldn't be using the same trimmer on your face that you use. Well, down there, it's just nasty, dude. Manscaped also has the crop preserver, which is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code ARN. A-R-N at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use our promo code ARN, A-R-N, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And our promo code is ARN, A-R-N. Woo, ARN's got a manscape? Can't wait to get the report next week. Well, somebody who's not. A superhero is the subject of the next question. I don't know what it is in the water this week, but Josh Kuhn wants to know the question we all needed answered was we know that he's seen the baby's arm, but has Arn ever seen Tony's button on a fur coat? Why does everybody need to know these things? (laughs) Man, wrestling fans. Here's the thing. I know you weren't keeping up with it, but years ago, there was a series of shoot interviews where for the first time, instead of just the host asking the questions, they let fans write in and ask questions through a series of, you know, online communication, whether it was social media or message boards or whatever. And there was a guy named Mikey who was using a different name, but his real name is Mikey. And he's gone on to be a promoter in the Midwest. You'll probably do a show with him at some point. And he would write in every week when they did these shoot interviews, a long paragraph that would set up what felt like the world's longest question. And then at the end, he would just ask about Batista. I have, uh, picked up his tradition on these Q and a shows. And now we'll get this question 10 times in these throughout this particular episode, but I won't ask it, but just the one time, because everybody is sort of waiting on it. It's like a rite of passage, but Tony has joked that while, um, the baby's arm holding an apple may have described you guys, a great close personal friend, Mr. Flair, he would maybe describe himself as more of a button on a fur coat. The picture of Tony in my mind, nude, is so disturbing, I can't even get past it. Yeah. I can't even isolate on any one particular area. So I'm going to get past that because I haven't ate dinner yet (laughs) today, and I'm just not going to risk it. Deal? Deal. Let's keep it moving. Let's talk about something else that we wish we could forget. Uh, this comes from Rob K. He says, what can you tell us about the Eric Watts gas station brawl? And do you think him using an STF cheapened the angle? 
Well, I'm going to take the heat on that because that whole thing was my idea. And the reason I thought that putting the STF on it was it was at that time the only thing that Eric could hang his hat on. Right. It was the only thing that was over about Eric. So I certainly wasn't going to stand, you know, after I jumped him from behind at a gas station and was kicking his ass, I certainly wasn't going to have him just Superman up and then just turn it around and kick my ass. There had to be a some type of glitch in it, you know, the, the door getting opened on my leg to set it up, I thought made sense. Uh, the STF was like at that time being pushed. So although that would never happen in a normal street fight, we're not having a normal street fight. We're having a fight at a gas station on a wrestling show. So if it didn't work in whoever's mind it was, I apologize for that. It was an honest effort to try to get Eric over. And uh, it all falls on me because the creative was all mine. Interesting question here from rock and wrestling podcast. Our friend, Nick, he writes in, how did you feel being asked to do commentary on the WCW match between Booker T and buff Bagwell? Of course, he's referencing right around the time this invasion angle is going to get kicked off. There is a WCW match on Monday night. Raw, the two chosen competitors, buff Bagwell, Booker T, and they bring out new commentators and we see Arn on commentary for the very first time. Well, I got, to be honest with you, I, I got railroaded on that deal because I got a call from Kevin Dunn on Sunday night. Um, he said, we, we got a little spot. We're going to have a match with with these guys. We'd like you to sit in on commentary. You ca- are you okay to do that? And I was so thrilled that they were going to trust me to do this. And the fact that that could have opened up another job or an avenue or something within the business that I could uh, hang my hat on and have a new career, you know, I just said yes without, well, once again, my, my, I didn't know you could say no, but the fact was being an announcer is a very difficult job. It's a very highly skilled job. It takes a lot of uh, training. It takes a lot of experience to be good at it. You've got to be very clear-headed. You've got to know dates, times, names, and be able to put them in there. If a guy sets you up or leads you in, you've got to be able to respond right at that time. It's a lot more than me just going out and doing a promo, which I thought I could compete on anybody's level at any time, anywhere, with anybody. The difference is doing commentary is completely different. It's totally different. And my my wife has told me, different people have told me, you know, you got to speak up. Your voice is a little bit soft. So you got to enunciate, you got to speak up. And all the things that could go wrong went wrong in that particular match. You know, I, I'm sure that I just buried the talent, which was not my intention, but just saying stupid stuff in inopportune times. I, I knew it was so bad that I haven't went back and listened to it ever. It was that bad. And I was told by the people that really cared about me, Jesus, that wasn't good. Um, I don't even remember what the quality of the match was, but I do know that I did not do a good job and I have not attempted to do it since. John Riga has an interesting question. He says, I was there when Taker lost at WrestleMania. 
I was also there when he lost to Roman. Of course, he's talking about the streak in the first comment there. My question is, do you know if losing to Roman was supposed to be the undertaker's retirement? It felt like he got the perfect send off that night, but he didn't retire. And I, as a fan have sort of felt cheated from that moment on and haven't attended a WrestleMania since. So I don't know. Interesting take that maybe you would feel cheated, but I like a lot of folks assumed when he left the hat and he left the gloves and he left the jacket and all in the middle of the ring, that was it. Did you think the same? I did, but I'm going to back up a little further than that. Um, I'm a huge undertaker fan as a human being and as a performer and as a businessman to this date, as we're sitting here and when this goes to air, my feelings are pretty strongly that he should still be undefeated. I don't think anybody benefited. Brock Lesnar did not need to hang his hat on that ending the streak to have an incredible career that he's had. I even think it would have been maybe even bigger if Undertaker would have won that night. I just think it was so special, and it's one of those unique situations that I think somebody just woke up one day and went, oh, my God, he's 20-0. and Well, why mess with that? It's something that I think each year, no matter who the opponent was, Undertaker had a ready-made gimmick that didn't need any building, didn't need any fire thrown to it, didn't need any pomp and circumstance. The streak stood alone, and it was the biggest thing in my mind that occurred the night of WrestleMania, and it was already built for the next X number of years, however many years he wanted to go. He should have walked out undefeated, had a send-off befitting someone of the magnitude of The Undertaker, and then just moved on. Interesting question here, uh, because I don't think we've ever talked about something like this. Stoner Dale wants to know, do you have any special rituals that you used to do before showtime? So you're getting ready for the big match. We've heard through the years that lots of athletes are superstitious. They want to make sure they keep their streak alive or their good luck alive or they, they stay safe. Did you have any specific rituals yourself? Uh, nothing too funky. Um, I did, I did like to stretch for about, uh, 45 minutes before a match and break a sweat backstage. Back in the day, we had the rubber hose with the handles on them. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, some guys use those to get a pump or loosen up or whatever you wanted to call it. But I'd like to go find an area somewhere in the arena where I could get a place in the curtain back there, hid, where I could watch certain matches because I knew they were going to do some incredible stuff. And I wanted to make sure whatever I had in my head for the match that night wasn't done earlier or even remotely done earlier which would have taken away from the reaction of what I was going to do later. So I could watch certain matches and stretch and catch that, catch that uh, sweat. So that when I came through the curtain, I was warmed up. I was ready to go. I was already in wrestle mode. I wouldn't call that an unusual ritual, but it was just something that kept me from getting hurt. And I was very lucky over the years, other than the three times I tore my neck up, I was relatively healthy. So that's about it. 
Michael wants to know other than Rome, Georgia, what's your favorite town to eat in and what would you recommend eating there? So interesting no, question. Go ahead. I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, no, go ahead. Would you call me gourd head? Uh, let's see here. That was a joke. I get it. I'm not arguing. <laughs> you just didn't sell it. Damn it. That was my moment. <laughs> Well, we're going to sell some blue chew in a minute. Besides blue chew, what, what do you like to eat now? All right, look. Number one, I can't go to Rome and eat. I've still got so much to eat with so many people's grandfathers that still live there and grandmothers that still live there that used to hang with me during the day. I might get poisoned. Um, My favorite places to eat was that the bigger question? Yeah, yeah, that's the, the idea. Like, I, Maybe he's looking for... If there's a favorite restaurant that, you know, whenever I'm in this market, I want to go and it's your absolute favorite. Cool. But if not, is there a favorite chain? We've heard over the years that a lot of guys like Cracker Barrel, uh, what, where, what's your go-to when you're on the road? Well, um, you know, my schedule being in the office and having to be the first one there and the last one to leave, I didn't get to enjoy a lot of meals out, but like vacation wise, I'm a beach guy. More importantly, I'm like a Destin, Panama City, Pensacola, Florida kind of guy. I know you know about those places. Sure. You probably own, own most of it. Oh, um, but when I go there, man, the seafood, I loved, I love seafood. And uh, grilled seafood is my favorite. And try to get a hold of that. I'm also a legitimate Texas barbecue guy. If you can get the brisket somewhere in the middle of Texas, Barry Wyndham used to take me to places where you just pull into this this shed, it looked like, with smoke coming out of the top of it, and you'd walk in, there'd be picnic tables. Man, the brisket was just incredible. So that's two things that really stand out to me. Um, Gibson's. You know, if, I'm, if I want to feel like I'm a wheel and a big shot and save my lunch money for a while, I like to go in Gibson's and uh, Chicago, which is incredible fine dining. Those come to the to mind, firstly. I think uh, all the horsemen love Gibson's. Every time I've ever been to Chicago with either Jim Ross or Ric Flair, that's like their go-to. The one in Rosemont, especially. They're just super fond of. Yeah, the one close to the airport's awesome. Let's keep it moving here. Um, this is something that we get lots of different variations of, but we'll go ahead and ask Chase's question here directly. Who's your first, your favorite person to be an agent for? Hmm. Oh, that's difficult. Enjoy working with Randy Orton. Um, Tell us a Randy Orton story. I feel like he might be one of the most misunderstood superstars. Randy is a very evil individual. Very smart. In my mind, when he's on and when he has an angle that he could sink his teeth in, he's the best heel in the business. Single heel. Uh, he doesn't do a lot of the flip-flop and fly stuff. He's just a guy that will stomp your brains out at the proper time. And uh, he has that look. If the, the longer you look at him, the more he does look like a viper and a serpent. And he moves like a viper and a serpent. He's one of those guys that 
for me, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of heels because the one thing that has driven our business that we've somehow forgot about along the way is when the guy rides into town with the black hat and the black vest and makes no mistake, he got no problem shooting you in the back at night where you can't even know that he's there. Without that guy coming into town and creating a lot of mass hysteria and really rotten stuff going on, you don't need the guy in the white hat to come in and save the day. And Randy is one of those guys that he's a world-class heel when he's cast that way. He's easy to, to pass ideas off of, you know, and he'll tell you if he doesn't necessarily like something or if he does like something. Easy to, to do business with. Dolph Ziegler was a guy that I always enjoyed working with. Bobby Roode, another guy I enjoyed working with. Guys that were very, very receptive to anything that you wanted to push, you know, over across the table and say, here, take a bite of this and see what you think. And if he, if he didn't like it, he'd push it back across the table or maybe he'd hang on to the plate. Who knows? Uh, but I was fortunate enough over the years to work with a lot of great guys that were very receptive to my ideas because they understood it wasn't about me. I was just there to help them be the best they could be. And that's all it was. Um, Two great questions here from late to the nitro party. This first one tickles me. Where were you during the infamous Shockmaster incident? And what was your reaction? Well, I was by a monitor somewhere. Um, because I saw it when it happened and it, the thing I'll never be able to get out of my mind is in the background, the audio was still playing and all I could hear, correct me if I'm wrong, was Davy Boy Smith saying, he busted his fucking ass. And that came across air. Now, everybody was rolling, you know, but. In a single swoop, this poor guy who was a monster, I mean, the demand was six, eight, 400 pounds or whatever he was, was dead in a minute. And the guys were all back there rolling, and uh, it was a calamity of sorts, that's for sure. I do want to mention that uh, we've actually got a unique photo op. I think for the first time ever, not only do we have Fred in the Shockmaster robe and helmet, but we've recreated the wall so you can take your picture where it looks like you and the Shockmaster are busting through the wall together. Like you're the Kool-Aid man in the eighties. That's all happening this weekend at Starcast. So that should be pretty fun. Yeah. Well, you got to laugh about it. And I think Fred was, you know, smart enough to not oversell it back when it actually happened. Cause what are you going to do? It's done. It's on, it's on live television and the moment has passed. So, uh, I'm sure he didn't worry about it too much. And, uh, it'll be a fun time for the people that do remember, cause it's, it's one of those yuck, yuck moments of, of time that we've all been involved in. This just happens to be his late to the nitro party has another great question here. This one about Paul Roma. He says the guy always seemed like a good worker, but just could never break through. Do you have any good Paul Roma stories? Well, I mean, Paul was in a rough spot. He was brought into a situation where expectations were still pretty high for what a, a member of the horseman was going to, supposed to be, what the thought process was, how he would add to the group. Um, 
And, you know, that decision was made by someone entirely, nothing to do with any of the participants, myself or Rick or anybody else or Oli. So, uh, you know, everybody had their own reason for doing what they did. It was a good spot for him, but I don't think he ever really enjoyed it or felt comfortable in it. And uh, I thought he made a much better partner for Paul Orndorff. And they had a nice little run when ours was over. So, hey, it's not it's not up to me to judge, you know, who was a good horseman, who wasn't. And I think it's ultimately up to the test of time and the fans themselves to decide who they liked in that role, what, what group of horsemen were their favorites, which were their least favorites. And uh, I had no problem. I could do business with anybody. I don't think I've ever heard you talk about this next question. Jimmy Steven writes in, do you have any memories of working with a dynamite kid? Anything about his personality or backstage shorts, backstage stories that you can share. I don't think you guys were together in the same locker room for very long, just for a cup of coffee in the WWF. Was there another time you were around dynamite kid? No, uh, we worked with those guys about two or three times when we first got there and it was just live events, I think. Um, so, uh, you know, I had heard all the stories and I know Barry Darso with demolition, um, was, was very good friends with, uh, Davey boy and, uh, dynamite. And, uh, they spoke very highly of those guys. I know they worked with them a lot and, uh, you know, the, I enjoyed, the, they were very, very talented. Tully and I enjoyed working with them and, uh, those few times we got to, but we were never anywhere that they were prior to that or after that other than i'm talking about just dynamite so it was very very short experience with him interesting question here from on this day in wwe there is a uh, a famous skit backstage of rick flair when he was president of wcw in 1999 uh, probably early october and he's watching Ming or Haku, whatever on a small monitor. And you're in the locker room behind him brushing your teeth. Who came up with the idea to have you brush your teeth during a promo? seems pretty random. Yeah, it is pretty random. Isn't it? Other than the fact that, uh, I do like my teeth being clean. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't remember where that came from, but I would think it probably came from me just thinking that it made that, probably be more like a real life situation sure in the you know in the locker room two guys watching a match and and commenting and maybe you're just the fly on the wall that happens to be privy to that conversation that's probably how that happened i can't see anybody coming in saying hey i want you brushing your teeth in this which would have sounded a little goofy if somebody else would have came up with it ninja rob wants to know if one wrestler injures another wrestler step-by-step, step, what is the proper etiquette in and out of the ring and through recovery for the aggressor? It is the responsibility probably is the best way I can describe it of guys that go in the ring to protect each other first and foremost. You are supposed to make sure that everything you do is done carefully, safely. Not to say that it doesn't going to have impact and uh, 
and be snug and all those things that we aspire to do. But when a, when something goes wrong and a guy gets hurt, the guy has to let you know I'm hurt, number one. Or you think he's just selling. Once you know that a guy's hurt, you have got to be smart enough to shut everything down, depending on what he's saying is hurt. If a guy says it's his neck, you don't grab a front face lock on him. If a guy says it's his leg you certainly, or his knee, you certainly don't snatch that leg. But you've got to settle things down to a crawl right away and find out what is the degree of the injury. And if it's something that you fit, you got to make a snap decision. If it's something, well, I can't get him back on his feet. I can't move him. I can't do anything. As goofy as it may be, having a flat, non-exciting finish to a referee stoppage at a weird part in a match is, is when it's as real as what we're talking about here is more important than anything because – if you move a guy, he could be paralyzed as a result from it. So many things could happen. So it's more important to get that match concluded and get some medical aid to the to your dance partner and make sure he's going to be okay or at least not doing any more damage than has already been done accidentally. We owe that to each other, and that's our first responsibility as partners in the ring. Great old school question here from David Gibb. What did you enjoy about or learn from working with Jerry Stubbs? And why don't you think he ever made it to the big time of Crockett or the WWF after Continental closed? Well, that's easy. Jerry never wanted to leave Pensacola and, and I get it. The farthest he went was to work for Bill Watts and which he did when I first started in the business, he was going over for, a few months and he would go back to Pensacola for a few months. He might've went as far as possibly Memphis. But when I first got to Pensacola, Jerry Stubbs was in shape. He was working out. He was laying by his pool. He was tanned. He had somebody making his gear, his masks, his boots, his, his tights. I mean, he looked like he looked as good Underneath that hood is anybody in the business. And man, could he work. He was an exceptional worker. Um, and he was big enough. I mean, Jerry was probably 6'2", probably 240, 245, but jacked. He looked like a star. And uh, he was so good. You know, working with him and working as his partner, I learned so much in that short amount of time. I just, I can't tell you, I will be forever in his debt, and I probably don't give him enough credit as one of the guys that helped groom me, but man, was he good. Boy, Robert Noss wants to put you on the spot. He says, if you had to pick, who do you think's a better in-ring performer, Charlotte or Tessa? I don't know. I haven't seen enough of Tessa. I know that uh, Charlotte's as good as there is. Um, and what I've seen from Tessa, she's pretty damn good, too. Uh, I've only seen two or three things she's done on television. Uh, but in the short amount of time that she's been in the business, how long has she been in? Three, three years? Is that about right? Yeah, not too much more than that. Yeah. Maybe. That's not a lot of time. Um, 
you know, she's really come a long way. And uh, funny story with Tessa, when we were put into the Hall of Fame, uh, Tali and myself had, uh, that was 2012, made the rounds doing the radio stuff during the mornings, you know, before we were all uh, had all our other, other appearances. And we were, she wanted to go with us. And she was just a kid then. I don't know how old she would have been, maybe, what, maybe 18, 19, somewhere in there. But she was just tagging along watching Tully do what he does uh, as far as media. But she had never seen that part of him in the business because he was already out when she was just very, very little. So she that's the day she got the bug. Now, this he's telling me this story. He said he couldn't get her to shut up about it, wanting to be in the business. After that media tour that we took and the way the fans responded to us and all that stuff. So... That's when she caught the bug. Some point in time, she got trained, and now we have the product that we have today. I do know this. Before Rick's dead, before I'm dead, before Tully's dead, if there's a smart promoter out there who thinks he's half-assed smart, considers himself smart, some type of union of those five people should probably take place somewhere in some scenario, whether it's Charlotte and Tessa's partners or whatever the case may be with the old timers, you know, giving them some insight as to how they can make this better, which would be Tully, myself and Rick. That's a no brainer. I'd like to see that as a fan one time or maybe a couple of times, who knows, but that's just kind of sitting there as a big thing down the road. If somebody would just be smart enough to figure it out. You got to think it's going to happen eventually. Uh, Alex S. Pumpkins wants to know that Arn ever have a chance to wrestle any of the Von Erics. Nope, I miss those guys. You know, that's uh, they were on top when I first broke in, and I passed them a couple times in Bill Watts' locker rooms. Once or twice, I think I saw them somewhere along the way. Maybe we were in Texas, and Jim Crockett might have used those guys for something for Dallas. I'm, I'm not quite positive about it, but. I was only around them a couple times. Um, sorry I missed them. Would have loved to worked with them in Dallas when they were red hot because at one point in time, they were as hot as anybody in the business. Interesting question here from um, South Sox fan down South. He says, when you first came to the Mid-Atlantic area, you were always wearing a Yankees hat on TV. Were you a fan of the Yankees or was it just for heat? Both. I was a fan of Reggie Jackson and Goose Gossage and the and the times was seventy five or whatever those years were that they prevailed when they were really kicking ass. I'm more of a personality fan. You know, I love the Raiders uh, back in the heyday, Snake Stabler and that crew. My God, when they were kicking ass. Uh you know, even though I lived in Rome at the time, I should have been pulling for the Falcons. I was never a Falcons fan. I was more of a personality fan. Um, but, you know, just the whole concept of being from Rome, Georgia, and being Southern as you could possibly be, but wearing a New York Yankees hat to me just really pissed me off when I first even thought about it. I, went, I just saw a hat laying somewhere in a store, like a sporting goods store, and I said, damn, that you know what, that just might work. And I just bought it and put it on because I knew as soon as I started talking, when you're pushing something in those days, you know, from New York and you were in a Southern territory, 
man, that was Traitor, Traitor, written all over it. So seemed to work. People are talking about it 30 years later. So apparently somebody remembered something about it they didn't like, which was what I was pushing for at the time. Bobby Salsa wants to know, could we get Arn's thoughts on the recent Eric Bischoff hiring and firing? Was Arn surprised? Was I surprised? Nothing surprises me anymore. Um, I have my own opinions, which I will keep to myself about why it was done the way it was done. Um, that's just one of those things that, you know, I hate that a guy loaded a truck up and went that far for basically no opportunity at ever ever achieving what um, the job description that was put upon him called for. Let me, I hope that made sense. Yeah. Sounded, sounded a little discombobulated in my head, but he was brought in, you know, driven across country, moved into Stanford, Connecticut, which is not the apple of everyone's eye. If you've ever been there, that's, you know, it's nothing great about Stanford. I'm sorry. You know, sorry if I'm offending anyone in Stanford, but the traffic and the cost of getting a place to live and all that stuff is pretty, pretty stout. Uh, Those that know that live there know what I'm talking about. Um, But the fact is he was given a a job to do, not much time to do it, not enough time to succeed at it. And he was the fall guy for it when it didn't go down. I think that's pretty shitty, you know, but uh, that's my opinion. John Malman wants to know who are the top three enhancement talents you got to work with? Do you have any favorite backstage stories involving them? And, uh, I got to tell you, I don't think that we talk enough about enhancement talent. And I heard you correct someone one time when they referred to a, uh, enhancement guy as a jobber, you were real quick to correct that verbiage to carpenter. Uh, do, do you, can you tell us who? three of your favorites were, and then do you mind explaining what a carpenter is in professional wrestling? Well, Brad Armstrong, probably number one, because Brad was as good as any top talent has ever been in the land, bell to bell. He's just that good. Where Brad fell short was, I mean, with Brad walking around the locker room, picking at guys, Messing with guys, goofing on guys was as entertaining as anyone has ever been. Unless you've been in a locker room with him, you don't know what I'm talking about. But in his in-ring performance was absolutely flawless. But when the red light came on, Brad would shut down. He could not figure out who the guy was he was trying to portray on his promos. He just... He never seemed to connect with who that guy was or that guy never connected with who, with the audience. That's one guy. Um, Heath Slater uh, is as funny a guy, and if you gave him a chance, is a good performer in the ring. He's certainly a guy that could be an upper-middle talent tomorrow if things were just written for him. The I've Got Kids thing had legs. Of course, it went absolutely nowhere, but that thing could have blown up into something big time. Uh, Taylor Rotundo, Axel, those guys work their ass off. They're a good team, tremendous performers. Enhancement talent 
I just look at is we're all enhancement talent. I was one my entire career. And some people would say, oh, all right, come on. You were in a lot of big matches and all that stuff. Still, when your job is designed, your whole career is designed to make everyone else's career a lot better, you're an an enhancement talent. And that's what I was. I spent an entire career making everybody else's careers. And I got no problem with that because it, it called for a lot of longevity. And in a lot of big matches where people remembered the matches, and guess what? They remembered the top players, but a large majority of wrestling fans are intelligent people, and they would go, Arn, you know you were in that match too. Even sometimes when I forgot about it, and you did this and you did that. and you know, So enhancement talent, to me, are just guys that know that their job is not to be the top star. They're not going to be the Roman Reigns that night. They're not going to be the Hulk Hogan or the Ric Flair or Randy Savage or or whoever it may be, John Cena. You know, you're not going to be the top guy, but you're going to be third from last and your job is still going to be the same to get these guys over, but we're going to have you in a plenty of time. We're going to have you do a promo beforehand and you're going to be in a situation where you can get that deal over. Now those carpenters, are those guys that are designated. You're going to get beat every night, but your job is still to go out there and make it competitive, have the audience forget that it's just a no-brainer. This guy's going to win. This guy's going to lose. And do some things during that match to where you feature your talents, but you also feature the guy that's supposed to be featured, which is the guy going over which is the guy that the office thinks is going to be the star. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes you get backstage and you just go, guys, we screwed up. We put the wrong guy over. Sometimes it's fixable from that point forward. Okay, you change direction. You go, okay, let's go with the other guy. Very rarely does that happen. So a carpenter and without him, I mean, even from the guys that – have a job during the week and come there just for TV. There's some very talented kids out there that goes out knowing it's going to be an enhancement match, but still they're right there for all the bumps you give them. They're right there to make your uh, finish look good. And uh, without those guys, would have to fold the doors because the carpenters of the business are the first building block by which everybody else above them gets over. Well, we hope that you guys get over enough to, uh, or we get over enough with you to come see us later this month. Believe it or not, it's finally here. Our first live show, the Arn show live. It's going down at the Benton convention center. Of course, it's a part of the tremendous WrestleCade weekend happening in Winston Salem, North Carolina. We want you to join us on Saturday, November 30th. You'll get to ask double a any question you want. And you know, he's going to be a barrel of laughs when it's not being recorded. And the rest of the world can't hear it. You're going to hear some stories that you can't hear anywhere else at arnshowlive.com. That's arnshowlive.com. We've also got a VIP opportunity. You can get Arn to sign your stuff, get a picture with Arn. It's going to be great. It's arnshowlive.com. It's just 30 something bucks right now. WrestleCade weekend, Winston-Salem, Saturday, November 30th. Mark your calendars now, arnshowlive.com. As we start to wind things up here, this is a tremendous question from miles Gatewood. He says, was there ever a Ric Flair promo that you recall 
that made it so hard for you to keep a straight face. Of course, Rick was famous for saying some pretty crazy outlandish things on TBS. Do you remember one time in particular, you nearly losing it on camera? Well, look at, did anybody see when he was working with Jimmy Garvin and Ronnie Garvin, where he had the friggin' doll out on the promo yeah, and he was ki- kissing the doll. Brings a full mannequin out, dressed up like a woman, and starts to kiss a mannequin live on TBS. I've never been more horrified. I've never been more. God, Monty, I was having to keep my legs squeezed together to keep from peeing my pants. I don't know where that part, that that went to another level of silliness and dumbass stuff that only Rick, trust me, he's the only man that could have walked back through that curtain and not only had a career still, but a job still, and uh, probably got him more over than when he had, did that deal. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I'd have got fired if I'd have tried that. That's the one that really jumps off the page to me. Nikita Roberts has a great question here. What would you consider the greatest lesson you've learned in the wrestling business? I don't know about the the greatest wrestling. I know the best advice I ever got. Shoot. Paul Orndorff, right before he went to uh, the WWF at the time, was just finishing up when I got to uh, Georgia with Matt Bourne and as a partner and Paul Ellering as my manager. And we had just gotten there and we were a few weeks in and I guess Paul had, had pulled a Ted DiBiase and he had been kind enough to went to the curtain and watch some of my matches and was giving me some feedback and stuff. And, and, uh, which was unheard of back in those days because, the guys felt like, hey, I'm not going to make this guy better. He's already got a little something to build on and have him take my spot. That was the mentality. So the guys that really would try to help the young guys were the guys who were secure in their own identity, number one, and their talent and where they were in the business. And they truly had a good heart and wanted to help a guy get get better. And uh, when I was in, the, in there warming up and doing the stretching and the whole rigmarole, he said, you got a minute? And I said, yes, sir. Oh, are you kidding me? Paul Orndorff wants to talk to me? Jesus Christ. And boy, was he jacked back then. He said, look, I've been watching you. He said, I'm going to give you some advice. He said, stay in the gym. Keep your body right. He said, you learn how to talk and you learn how to work. And they cannot deny you. You, they won't be able to deny a kid. You got something. And he just walked off. And uh, so I took that advice and, and I tried to stay in the gym. I was never going to be a body guy, but I could at least look like an athlete and at least be in a position that if it did come push to shove, I could fight a little bit. I damn sure was going to learn how to work because that was just being respectful of your craft and your peers and becoming as good as you possibly can. And the mic stuff I had always been a smart ass within my group of teenage guys, and I was cutting promos before I got in the business. So that just kind of felt natural. So all those things combined gave you job security. He told me at the time I tried to live that, and I tried to pass that same information on to the kids that deserve it today. 
Well, and we hope that you guys tune in today, next week, every Tuesday, moving forward. We are excited to be here doing a podcast with Westwood one. And thank you for being along for the journey. And we also want to remind you that you can pick up a shirt right now at orange We've got a brand new shirt this week, spine on the pine showing Arn delivering the spine buster as only he can do lots of other tremendous shirts on there. The human hat rack an homage to the television title, the classic show logo, super Olympia toot toot, which I think is catching on arrive spine buster leave the hilarious expressions of orange shirt, the four horsemen shirt in the neon logo, pick it up right now, orange and tune in next Tuesday, but let's wrap it up with one last question here. This one from Basilios. He says, Arn, who was your most favorite opponent in the ring that you didn't get along with outside of the ring? Uh, let's see. Buzz Sawyer. I did not get along with and That's because Buzz didn't get along with anybody. Um, didn't necessarily get along with Matt Bourne. Um, as a partner, and then later as Big Josh as an opponent. For some reason, Matt didn't like me. I don't know what that was all about. I didn't lose any sleep over it at night, that's for sure. Um, Manny Fernandez probably, for some reason, didn't like me. And uh, we had some of the best matches I'd had in my career at that particular time, which was first coming to Crockett Promotions. Um, don't know what that was all about. Doesn't matter either. It just brought out the best in both of us. I think a little animosity and, uh, that's the three that probably jump off the page. Well, we're going to jump off the page next week. We've got something pretty unique. We're going to talk about some more recent stuff. We're going to talk about survivor series, 2014. We'll cover some news and notes that were happening in the company just five years ago. But the reason this show in particular jumps off the page well it's sting's wwe debut so we'll talk about the good the bad the ugly of that what could have been maybe do a little bit of fantasy booking and then the following week we'll be back at you once again with another q a if you'd like to participate in these shows by all means follow us on twitter it's at the arn show at the arn show on social media is where you can find us and don't forget to pick up your shirts at orangeshirts.com and come check us out november 30th at wrestlecade we're going to be there uh, doing our very first live show, orangeshowlive.com. And this weekend, man, it's all about StarCast 4 in Baltimore. Hope you can make plans to join us. Come meet Arn Anderson. Get your picture. Here's some stories you haven't heard before about the Great American Bash and the good old days of Jim Crockett promotions, including from Jim Crockett himself. Talk about a unique photo op. I don't think this will ever happen again. Until next week, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, tell a friend, leave us a five-star review. He's Arn Anderson. I'm Conrad Thompson, and we're out of time on Arn. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.